Thank you for listening to the In The Lead show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and check out the In The Lead newsletter. Every week I send out mindfulness and leadership tips to help you become the best leader of you. See the show notes for a link to subscribe to the newsletter or go to www.intheleadshow.com and subscribe there. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and today I'm joined by Dr. Deb from PTSD and Beyond to talk about how to deal or process difficult situations. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to have you on to have this conversation. It's something that I think we all need a little bit more right now. A lot of difficulties in the environment and just in the world and how do we handle that in a more productive way that, you know, is more healing and where people feel more whole. And yeah, I just see so much going on in the world, but before we get started, I would love to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell the listeners who's Dr. Deb? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. Cause usually when I'm always introduced as Dr. Deb, I mean, people would call me in the beginning of my uh, career post-doctorate, Dr. Lind, and it always made me feel really super old. And so I said, yeah, no, don't do that. You know, and then I would just say to people, just call me Deb. And then the feedback was, no, I can't do that. So we had to have some compromise. So Dr. Deb's cool. Um, In the beginning of my career, though, I started off in uh, consulting with leader development, employee opinion, surveys, I'm working with psychometrics, anything that was related to human development. And um, a little bit of a sidebar history of when did I start getting interested in human development? And I have a a book from my grandmother um, that I had from when I was in seventh grade. So I started really tapping into philosophy and exploring uh, the ways of, of how people interact with one another when I was 13. And so, um, working in consulting for many years. And then of course, having my own children, um, I was working in my doctorate at the time in organization development, which is a combination. I know this sounds, you know, like, oh my gosh, the stats on this, right? The in- intricate details. It's a combination of um, philosophy, psychology, sociology, and anthropology. So it looks at cultures, it looks at uh, society, and then also um, psychology of individuals. And I had a flashback memory when one of my kids was in preschool, which then led me to change my studies to understand trauma and stress. And then I transitioned my career to work from um, human development on the sense of leader development, um, but more of a specialized focus on trauma and traumatic stress. And uh, so here I am. Yeah. And you host the PTSD and beyond Twitter chat, as well as podcasts. So definitely check those out. And yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that initially drew me to you is I saw that you were talking a lot about PTSD and trauma. And I have also kind of walked a path of exploring trauma and PTSD in my own life. And also just kind of curious, you know, how that impacts others. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. So how does processing, like when we're going through a difficult situation, what's your thoughts on how that shows up in the body and how that shows up for us as like, you know, in our essence. So meaning everything, our mind, our body, our spirit, like how does, 
you know, trauma show up in that way when we're trying to process something difficult? That's a really good question. Um, and I say it's a really good question because while we can look at Vander Kalk's inter, you know, research and also book, The Body Keeps the Score, what I have found in practice and doing this work using myself as the guinea pig, that's exactly what I did when I was working on my doctorate and I changed my study of focus on stress and trauma is I knew I needed to help myself and I wanted to then lead as a peer advocate. Um, so more so than just Dr. Deb with the, you know, the education, right. but also from a perspective of uh, peer led. And so and trauma and stress affects the, the mind, our emotions, our body, our energy, and then also our spirit. Um, I still have a physical ailment from trauma that I live with every day. And it, it makes me not want to shake people's hands. Um, because it's my, you know, my danger warning will Robinson, which is are my hands. And sometimes it can be really super cold. Um, and how we process information from those pillars, if you want to call them not silos, but they're, they're, they're pillars that we can bucket and label. So the emotions, our mind, our energy, our spirit, um, and our physical body, they, they work in unison. And one, one of those are off kilter and off balance. And I use the word balance and the definition of harmony, because if you think about somebody on a tightrope, right, just give the illustration for your listeners. If someone's on a tightrope and they're trying to maintain balance, there's always a sense of tension. They're walking, you know, they're move, having that movement back and forth, which equates to tension. So it means in order for balance to actually occur, we need to have tension where mm -hmm. in harmony, we coexist with, yeah. we coexist and, and the way we process can affect those different pillars, those, those buckets. Yeah. And what I find is until you start doing the work and we become aware of things maybe that we're unaware of. So I don't know what I don't know until it's actually brought to my awareness, mm -hmm. as well as I'm aware that I'm reacting to something. And I would really like to learn how to move from reaction to response to I'm having the memory and the emotional grip, if you will, is removed. And I'm yeah. in harmony now with an existing and. Yeah. And to me, that's the go beyond piece. Yeah. And that is so powerful. I, I refer to that, which what you're talking about is integration. So it's actually interesting. I saw a LinkedIn article earlier today about the inner critic. And a lot of times, um, you know, the, people will say like, you just need to silence it, or you need to banish it, or it needs to go like away, push it away, overcome it. And I always think like, just like the inner critic, just like a lot of things, which first of all, I think are rooted in trauma. Second, I think of it as an integration where it's like that harmony that you're talking about. It's not about getting rid of it. It's not about making it go away. It's about how do you live with it and how do you integrate it into all those different pillars so that you can actually use some of the benefits, gifts, and strengths from them. But that only happens when you can move out of that reactive, um, when we're still really living in that trauma and that's very rooted in us still very deeply. When you get to a point of some healing, I've noticed it kind of, you, you move naturally into those more responsive, um, 
you know, uh, period of, you know, being more holistic and integrated and having that approach. And it's quite a powerful experience. So I fully agree with you that I think it's a holistic approach. And, and mm-hmm. I just, and, and, and I like that, um, you were talking about tension and, um, that balance and that harmony, because to me, it feels like it is just bringing it all together. And I don't know, for me, it just feels more peaceful too. It's not like I'm trying to battle something or it's not like I'm trying to resist it. It's just kind of there and I'm, I'm existing with it and it's a part of me and it's a part of that whole, that wholeness. I love that. It's part of the wholeness. I like to Mm. use cooking analogies. And the reason why is, oh, first of all, I like to cook, but secondly, it's because either people like to eat or people like to cook and everybody can relate to food. So if we look at some of these um, elements of trauma, of um, getting rid of and letting go, and, and just those two phrases can have a negative um, response for folks, because oftentimes as trauma warriors, we hear, oh, you know, you need to let that go. When are you going to let that go? When are you going to move on? And it can be from somebody who really has the intention of you know, wanting us, wanting to see us heal and grow. Yeah. When we, when we look at uh, things that are bitter in food, for example, a lemon. So the thing that um, we need to let go or that we want to not have a reaction to, right? Those bittersweet things. If we take it in its pure form, it, it can have the memories, the associations, and we'll equate that to the, the sourness of a lemon. Now, if we're going to make, say, a vinaigrette, we're going to use the acidic, the acidic properties of a lemon to give our, you know, salad dressing or vinaigrette that extra little kick. We need just a little bit of it. We don't, you know, use a lot of it, but it works in harmony with all the other ingredients. And we can think about the mind, the body, the emotion, the spirit, our energy self as ingredients along with our traumatic experiences and memories. Um, and even some things like my hands, for example, if I could figure out one thing I could do for myself yet, cause I've had breakthroughs, but for me, this is a big one. That would be wonderful if they could just not be cold all the time or most of the time anyway. And so we, we work in unison and harmony with all these ingredients and we can whip it up. So, you know, the actual stirring up, if you will, maybe we're in a situation where things are getting stirred up and are we in harmony still, even when things are being stirred up, there are many Mm -hmm. different, I'm going to say points on the spectrum, but many, many, um, moments in life. So many micro moments in life where a person can assess and determine, wow, you know what? Um, I'm in that environment. I'm in that situation or I'm having that memory again. And I notice that something's different. Yeah. I notice that I'm not reacting. I notice that my body's calm. I'm noticing that I'm able to laugh and think about, I like, you know, I can't believe like I remember that really did bother me or maybe with their physical body, they're noticing that they're not having the heart palpitations or, um, not, you know, being hypervigilant and looking to see, 
who's behind me or what are the exit doors? Everybody has their own micro breakthrough moments. And those breakthrough moments are really an attestment to people who are doing the work to heal and, and live in that harmonious state. It doesn't happen all the time. Believe me. I mean, I want to preface this because, um, you know, there are people, yes, who study like, you know, Buddhism that are in a harmonious state, you know, so many hours a day for the, for the most of us though, we're, you know, we're living in a different kind of way. It doesn't mean though, that we can't achieve that harmonious existence because we can, we see it from people who are doing it and it gives us hope and inspiration, not competition, but hope and inspiration that we can also. And I think that's one of the beauty and benefits of peer support. Cause there are people who will show up to the chats and they mm-hmm. talk about stuff. I mean, even on your Twitter spaces, there are people who were speaking so eloquently and I thought, Oh my gosh, you know what that sounds like? I want to say it like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, first I have to say, I love that you always use food um, references. Cause every time I talk to you, I feel a little bit hungry. Um, talking <laughs> about a vinaigrette last time it was a cookie, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, yeah. Using the little parts of everything that happens to us to bring them together, to make something beautiful. And it doesn't mean that just because a lemon is sour, that needs to be thrown out, right? Like right. you can use it in different ways. Um, and we have the power. I think that has been the biggest breakthrough for me is there is a self in there that has the power to be able to help bring all of those things together, that it's not just necessarily, am I living in that trauma space or in that one pillar, but can I live in all of them and can they all work together really well? That's to me feels like the ultimate healing and you're right. It does feel like moment to moment. Some moments you feel very harmonious. There are other moments where you don't feel that way. And I think that's the beauty of life too, is it's always kind of, I always say it's like inviting you. It's inviting you to come in and have an experience and kind of take another look at that because, you know, it's triggering you or it's, you know, referencing something that happened to you when you were a child or something. Um, There's always a welcoming there. that's like, no, come on over it's still there and that's okay. And it's always trying to invite you to bring that harmony together. Um, so I love that. So now thinking about leaders in organizations, let's say now I notice this a lot, like having difficult conversations or processing something difficult can be really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on how, like in an organizational setting, say I'm a manager and I have like 10 direct reports and there's a lot going on in the world and it's impacting my employees and it's impacting me. What are some tips you might have for how someone might be able to help themselves first of all, process what's happening and then also help maybe others as well? That's another very good question. Uh, One of the things that immediately comes to mind is people can process information separate from the organization culture. And why I say that is because what I've seen, especially right now in the workplace, is that people are either having difficult conversations that have uh, been either shoved under the rug or been postponed. It's like everybody knows, but the conversations never happened. Or people are saying, um, I don't want to have that conversation with my, my manager or my boss. I want to have that conversation with somebody else for myself so I can process 
so that I can determine where do I want to, where do I want to go? Where do I want to belong? I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. This was a really interesting perspective because I have not, and I preface this that way because their perspective and of what's happening in the workplace with the great resignation is something that I haven't seen. And so what they were saying is that, uh, leaders are still very stubborn in holding their ground on changing their ways and and not really following that there's this great resignation, right? They're still doing the same old, same old. And they were speaking from experience of, you know, what their practice is. And then I was actually surprised by that because I thought a lot of the things that I've seen, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter, there was a fascinating thread yesterday that I just thought, well, you know what, this is, this is the power of people saying enough is enough. My life is more than my job. My life is more than, you know, being at a desk. Um, because what I've seen is people having those reflective conversations, the, the pandemic provided an opportunity of a space for people to really pause and ask themselves the question, what really matters? Yeah. So the, the re reflection has many different layers and some of them are rooted in that fundamental question of what really matters? Yeah. Yeah. It was a great space, I think, to reflect and an opportunity really, I think, to create a more harmonious environment for people. And it kind of disappoints me when I read articles where it's like, you know, these big tech companies are like, you must come back into the office. We need everybody here. That's, you know, the only way we can work. And I just think, man, did we learn anything? Did we? Yeah. <laughs> Did we find that in harmony? Um, because it feels like, and if I have to see another person say, I can't wait to get back to normal, we're getting back to normal, normal. I don't know for a lot of people just was not normal, like the way things right. were. Um, and I feel like there's almost a lot of, um, avoidance or wanting to accept like how bad things really are for a lot of people. And it's almost like when I hear that it's, it's like, oh, okay, your comfort is more important than my reality or someone else's reality that might be, Hey, going into the office is really toxic or traumatizing or very draining for me and saying that doesn't matter because this is what we want. Um, it really upsets. It, it kind of bothers me because it, it feels like, wow, we, we were given this gift, this space to be able to reflect and do all those things. But I don't know. I mean, was it enough? I, right. I don't know. I mean, I think time will tell, but, um, what yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen two, two, um, schools of thought here, which is, uh, one group of, of, uh, experiences is that leadership became even more suspicious. You're not here. We can't see you. And so the, I would classify or categorize leaders and organizations that's that behave in that way with the suspicion is a deeper level of, I don't trust my employees. I don't mm -hmm. trust people. Mm -hmm. That's one. On the other hand, what I've also seen is we've learned a lot and the pandemic created us to adjust, to pivot and adjust. 
and I'll give an example of that. Um, there are organizations that would discredit online learning programs, for example. We're never going to have online learning. We're always going to be in-person learning. And it forced them to look at the online learning model. And some organizations are never going to go back to strictly in-person. Now they've got hybrid, they've got all these other things. I know of organizations just that have said, nope, we're going to have a hybrid model. Some we're going to completely give employees the option. Do you want to be fully remote? Do you want to, you know, come in a couple of days a week? Uh, and, and yet it is surprising it, that organ some organizations and some people, some individuals, this hasn't been enough for them to say, I'm going to change. Yeah. And, and yeah. what I mean by changing too, is to become healthy, mm. to stop the toxicity, to stop the unhealthy work cultures. It hasn't been enough. It almost feels like they're clinging on to the way things used to be and hoping that it will continue. And it almost it feels like a perfect like analogy to what I feel like is going on at a macro level, right? What we're seeing in the environment with the war in Ukraine. Um, it feels like when people feel threatened, it's like they want to hang on to and cling on to every last bit of whatever that was, because there is such a fear of that change or that maybe even forcing you to really be able to reflect and understand what's going on, like the pain, the suffering, the PTSD, the trauma, all of that. It's easier to just like the inner critic, oh, I'll just push it aside, you know, banish that. We don't need to think about that, you know, just be positive. Right. Or on other extremes, like let's destroy people, right. And countries, because I can't afford to give up what feels really vulnerable to me. So what I'm saying I think is people I people that go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say what I, what I think that's telling me is that for a lot of people, trauma and PTSD and kind of that really deep self-reflection feels unsafe to a lot of people and maybe is too risky for them to explore and really lean into. Um, that's kind of my sense is like, there are going to be some people who will just never really want to go there because it's just maybe too painful. Yeah. There's a couple of different themes we're talking about here. One is trauma denial. Mm -hmm. And, um, that actually can paralyze people. So what I've seen with folks that are in trauma denial is that they'll immerse themselves in their work. Uh, they have other coping habits like gambling, uh, alcohol, they're never fully present. They never give their brain. They don't sleep. They might sleep maybe four hours. They don't give their themselves a moment to pause because if there is that moment of pausing then mm -hmm. all of the stuff that they are suppressing comes to the surface and mm -hmm. they don't want to address it, yeah. they will do whatever it takes to exhaust themselves. So they crash and fall asleep and then they'll wake up. And again, the same cycle starts over again. So that's one thing that we're talking about. One theme is, you know, trauma denial, something else that we're, we're also talking about is, is people who have the awareness that this is very difficult and very painful. And they're at what I call a Dorothy moment, where if you remember watching the wizard of Oz, you know, she's standing there at the crossroads and the scarecrow's talking to her and she's 
you know, saying, well, um, you know, where am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, you can go this way or you can go this way. So they're in, they're in a state of Dorothy. I have a choice to make and I don't know which way to go. So they're frozen. Basically they're having the freeze trauma response and hopefully through a safe space of coaching or a safe space of peer support or a safe space with, uh, any other practitioner provider can help get some movement going and get some movement going in a safe direction for them. And then there's another, another, uh, group of folks that, um, you're talking about hanging on, right. That gripping, hanging on, I'm, I'm never going to change. I'm going to fight to the last, you know, my last, my last breath. Right. But it's not out of honor. It's not out of grace. They're not fighting out of honor or fighting out of grace. It's being fought for control fought for control. The fear, the fear is the fear of loss of control. And that is a power over, which is part of the abuse cycle. Yeah. Um, so I want to say something about people who have a tendency to hold on because of the power and the control. They're individuals who've lost themselves when we're kids, we're curious. We love to play. We love to explore, you know, kids are fearless. You know, they go running off and it's like, oh my gosh, where did they go? People who have a tendency of an extreme amount of control uh, are people who are extremely fearful and they've lost a sense of who they are. They have lost their curiosity. They've lost their desire to um, be joyful. Mm-hmm. And those are folks that really need some serious help. But yeah. unfortunately, they operate off of the more that I can control, the more that I can, and they'll put fear over you too. You know, you look at the mechanisms of control. Um, you're going to do whatever it takes to maintain that control. But ultimately, they're people who are destroying themselves because they're in great amount of pain. And suffering. Yeah. Yeah. We see that a lot in narcissist narcissism, um, yeah. you know, um, a wide range of, um, disorders. Um, what that all comes back to me and what that says to me is I don't feel safe. And a lot of times if you have trauma or abuse, that is a common theme is that mm-hmm. that safety was, um, jeopardized or, um, violated or taken away from you at some point in your life. And I feel like you spend the rest of your life trying to control things that you feel safe. And what my therapist always likes to tell me is she's like, Jen, when you're in that space of wanting to control things, um, or protect something that feels like it's not safe or it's vulnerable, it's not relational. It's completely self-serving. I am here to protect me. I'm here to keep me safe, but it doesn't care about you or anybody else. It just cares about me. But when we can kind of, when there's some of that healing and we can kind of shift out of that mindset, it's much more relational and we can then tap into things like empathy and compassion and all these things we talk about in organizations. But I feel like some of the hard work still needs to be done um, around doing some of this healing and really removing maybe some of the stigma too, around going towards some of these painful things. Um, I know it can be very difficult and very hard, but 
at the same time, I know just like with everything, it you, you don't no pain, no gain, right? In some regards where it's like, yeah, I, I got to go to these uncomfortable places and feel those things to be able to move forward with it in that integrated, holistic, balanced way that we were talking about. And I just think a lot of people are just scared because it is scary. I mean, I've done a lot of work and it's very scary. And I think it's one of the most beneficial things we could do for ourselves. But I agree with that. I agree with that completely. When I was referencing about, you know, the excessive need to control, um, it was, I want to just clarify, it was on the spectrum of people who are on a healing journey. And sometimes mm-hmm. if we're survivors, warriors of narcissistic abuse, uh, if we ask ourselves the question, we do a lot of reflecting anybody out there who does reflect. If you do reflection, you're not a narcissist. Cause sometimes, you know, you start asking yourself like because of gaslighting, for example, wow, am I really, mm-hmm. did I really you start questioning yourself? So I do want to preface that. Um, first of all, and, and yes, to do the work can be scary. It is mm-hmm. scary. And it's scary for many different reasons. Yeah. I think one of the things for myself anyway, that's given me a smile to be able to say it is scary and smile about it is because of the amount of breakthroughs. Like every time mm-hmm. I'm on a verge of a breakthrough, I can, I feel it. I sense it. And then I'll say to myself, yeah, but you want to know what it means? You've got to go through something scary. Yeah in order to have the breakthrough, but the, yeah. once the breakthrough happens, it's not scary any longer. Like I used to have such a, a fear of bees and insects are, are part of, you know, um, the abuse that I survived. And so bees were something that really scared me. And so now I can actually be around bees, you know, when they're pollinating and looking at, I'm actually looking at a honey hive. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I mean, I've gone from, you know, serious fear of bees. I still don't like wasps or hornets. Um, I had a wasp in my house. If I can go on a side tangent about, about fear of things, nobody was home with me. And I don't know how this thing got in my house. It was dusk. And I thought, what is that on my wall? Like, what is that? And then of course, you know, I wear glasses and I'm getting closer up to it. I'm like, oh my, and seriously, this thing was about the size of my pinky finger. I was like, Ooh, sweating and going, oh my, it was huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Minnesota bugs are not tiny, Mm -hmm. not as large as say, you know, the house spiders in England, but anyway, um, yeah. I had to deal with this by myself. And I kept thinking I've, I've got to do something because I'm not going to go to bed at night knowing that this thing's around where, when I find it, I got a dog, I've got kids. So anyway, the fear, you know, it's not embrace the suck. It's not embrace the fear. It really is what we're talking about processing that information. What's our self-talk like? one of the steps that I take is I acknowledge where I'm at. Okay. I'm acknowledging where I'm at with this fear. It's very real. How do I want it to be? Well, in my ideal life, I would, you know, grab it, catch it. It wouldn't sting me. And I'd bring it back outside. Well, we know that's not going to (laughs) happen. Right. Yeah. What's the next best thing? And I'm only five foot two. And it was way up there. It was up on the wall. I'm like, I'm not going to get a ladder, you know, like thinking about all the, what can I do? Right. 
and you, you talk it through with yourself, you come up with the plan, you reassure yourself. And then of course, in business, we have what's called a bad, not the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. I, st- mm-hmm. I, I make these little deals with myself. Okay, Deb. So if you can't get it, what's your bat? And I'm like, okay, well, my bat is I'm going to call somebody. That was my bat. <laughs> I'm going to call oh, somebody. By the time they join my house, I'm going to have to follow this thing around, you know, 20 minute mm-hmm. drive just to get to me. <laughs> anyway, bottom line is I remembered that I had some, you know, wasp spray. Now this is in my house. And <laughs> wow. Oh, I kid on. you not that thing was saturated. And I was so proud of myself that I called my kids and said, guess what I did? Guess what I did? I got a wash. It's in the house. And of course, you know, I had it, picked it up with the tissue just to show it to the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Showing you how big this was and mom killed it. Do you want to know what my kids noticed though, when they came home? What? The full can of raid that was all over the walls and all over the floor. And I didn't care. And yes, I had to get up on a ladder and wash my walls because I didn't know that that um, substance is oil based. Oh, yes. <laughs> but oh, I didn't care because I no. was so proud of myself because yeah. all I looked at was the breakthrough moment. Yeah. You're the so breakthrough right. moment. Yeah. That's and how we talk to ourselves and what do we do? That's what it's all about. Those breakthrough moments. Yeah. I, I can speak from my experience that that is very true. I can always sense when it's coming too, because I can sense like, okay, something's happening in my life, a shift that yeah. usually causes some discomfort. And I notice I'm, my mood is changing. I'm feeling different. I can't really explain it. I can just feel it. It feels different. And it feels almost heavier, but I know that every time that comes up, there's always a breakthrough on the other side coming yeah. that if I can kind of just stay present with that and just keep working, doing the work that that breakthrough is coming. And like you said, the curiosity helps a lot. Um, and what also helps me is I love that you said, acknowledging, I was just having a conversation today with my leader saying, Hey, like people are telling you one thing, but if you listen to what they're really saying, like what, what is really happening, which means peeling back all the layers and trying to figure out what that either trauma responses or even PTSD, because that is definitely prevalent. Um, what they're really saying is they feel, they want to feel valued. They want to feel yeah. like they matter. And like you acknowledge them doesn't mean they want you to talk about business and strategy and figure all the stuff out. That's the easy stuff. Mm. The hard thing is how can you make them feel valued and seen? Because yep. I feel like in the workplace, especially a lot of people are craving that, especially after the pandemic and all all the trauma that we've all been through, it just, it feels like that is a very necessary action and response that all leaders can be thinking about is how do I acknowledge where people are and give them that space. And even in that space, to me, there's always a little bit of healing um, that can occur. And those little breakthroughs can even come from just that simple acknowledgement, right? You acknowledging, Hey, there's a wasp in my house. I know that really triggers me. I have fear and trauma around that. Okay. What can I do? But taking that moment to stop and acknowledge it, I think is so critical. And I think we gloss over that a lot in business, especially it's like, no, let's just get past that, you know, and let's just go on to all the the metrics and the ROI and KPIs and strategy. (laughs) Like, we haven't stopped yet to acknowledge what is really there. And I mean, very 
and a lot of times it can be even simple, right? We don't have to make it these big, um, like events. Cause I have right. a leader who's told me before, like, well, then I'm not really good at that. Or I've heard like, I'm not a therapist. This isn't my job, but it, I think it's really all of our responsibility as just fellow human beings to be able yep. to help kind of take that moment to really help people acknowledge who they are, what they're feeling, what they're going through. It doesn't take a therapist to do that, but no, I, it takes a human being to do it, but not a therapist. Yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly. saying that therapists aren't human beings. I have friends right. that are therapists. Let me preface that. But yeah, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me. It takes a human being. We're yeah. humans. Yeah, we're, we're emotional beings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Star Trek, right? Uh, yeah. Let's look at Star Trek. Let's go there. We're going to go there. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we've got two characters. We have uh, Data and then we also have Spock, right? Who both are um, data. Well, there's one episode in Star Trek where data actually gets an emotion chip and he can't handle it anymore. He can't handle the overwhelming sensation of, of, of emotion. So he has it removed, which is sad for him. And Spock, Spock just can't understand like, okay, what's wrong with you people, right? And like, why yeah. can't you get your stuff together? <laughs> and what's interesting about leaders who don't have seeds of emotion, they're actually people who need some, yeah, they need to really reflect on why not? Because human beings are emotional beings. Like Maya yeah. Angelou said, we might not remember what a person said, but we always remember how they made us feel which then links back to DEI. And now we've got B, the B part, B as in Bob, is belonging. I can yeah. get invited to the party, but yeah. do I actually, does anybody talk to me? Do I actually feel welcome? Yeah. Is that feeling of welcome temporary? Or is it like, I feel like I just walked into, yeah. you know, a cheers episode, even though yeah. I'm the new person there, right? Yeah. yeah. I got the invitation, but do I really feel like I belong? Do I feel like I'm included and I belong? And again, because human beings are emotional beings, we all have the capability to be that leader. We yeah. all have it in us. We yeah. all do. It's yeah. a matter of a multiple of things, right? Do we do it? Do we not do it? You know, what's it going to look like for me in the workplace? And I really do challenge leaders um, because just because you're in the role doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Anybody mm -hmm. can put together a strategy, but to yeah. make, be a hero in someone's life, that takes yeah. somebody who has empathy and it takes somebody who has humility and it has somebody who has their own ego in check and it takes grace. And courage, I would say. There's a lot of courage that goes in to a lot of this that what we're talking about is even taking that moment to acknowledge, hey, something's happening to me right now and I'm I'm scared or I have this fear that takes a lot of courage to really stop. Um, the other thing I was going to say was when you're mentioning belonging, I firmly believe that belonging is the root of our human experience. Like we physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually crave that belonging, like at the deepest fundamental level. And I think from what I've observed in the workplace is that is at the root of what most people are asking, most conflict is, do I belong here? Do you yep. see me? Do you really value who I am? Is this, yep. and at a very, very deep level, like I think we're all kind of craving that and needing that. And there's mm -hmm. a deep need for that belonging piece, which goes beyond just like you said, like, oh, am I invited to the party? Yeah, I can be included, 
But when I get there, do I feel like I really belong there? Like, yep. do they, and are we telling each other, are we demonstrating that Yep. on a daily basis? Not like once a year or every six months, do we you know, right. have a party and tell you we, you matter and we love you, but no, like it's every day and everything that we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that is such a huge piece. I think that's missing. We're just scratching the surface, I think of it. Um, and in the workplace and yeah, I think it's, it's such a fundamental feeling and need that every single human being has. And it, you're right. It doesn't take a therapist, doesn't take a coach, doesn't take, um, much for you to just say, Hey, you belong here and let me yep. show you why or how. Um, and I feel like, I like that baseball, that's right. Baseball. It, yeah. It's why I really like base. I read, well, let me just say right now, I'm not happy with the ML. It's oh, not the players, it's, but anyway, that's yeah. another subject. It's why I like baseball. I can go by myself to any stadium. Cause I do, I go, mm-hmm. okay, where am I going to go? What game, you know, what am I going to go watch? And yeah. I've even been to twins games. I live in the twin cities and, um, I've been to target field by myself, mm-hmm. no matter where I'm at, it, it, I can be out doing whatever. And somebody can mm-hmm. have like LA hat on and I've got mm-hmm. my red Sox hat on, you know, and mm-hmm. you do the little up thing. I even had Yankees fans be like, Oh, Hey, you know, what's up kind of thing. Yeah. What I love about baseball is that there is with the fans, the sense of belonging Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. my kids and I, for uh, one of my birthdays, we went down to the field of dreams in Iowa where oh, they yeah. filmed mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. And I mean, there were people from all over the world there, yeah. but talk about that sense of belonging. Yeah. I mean, there were people who were like, I don't have any sunscreen while well, we had sunscreens like here, you know, have have the sunscreen bottle. Right. Yeah. But there were just, there were other people who, I mean, looking for shirts that wanted to know, I mean, it's like, how does that fit? I mean, I can think of all these, it was interesting experiences. Like we were cousins or something, you know what I mean? Like you're asking me about this shirt, you know, how does it fit? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't even know you. (laughs) But we're all together because of baseball. And it's like that movie. It's so true. They don't Mm -hmm. know why they're coming. They don't know why they're giving you the money, but they just, they have that nostalgic feeling of I belong. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of sports, I would even argue, I mean, I think even football, I mean, a lot of basketball, I mean, it's very, I mean, it's yeah, almost electric. You can feel it right when you're in the presence of it, you can feel that. And, and, and again, I think people go to it and crave it because at the, again, fundamental level, I think we all want to feel that way. Um, and then I think, yeah, the more that we can develop that in the workplace. Um, and I think that, you know, cultivating that belonging is part of the processing and, you know, when difficult things come up a lot of times it's, you know, that belonging is created when you just meet it and you acknowledge it and you say, yeah, you know, I know this is really tough and, Mm -hmm. I can hear that you're, you know, going through this and you're, this is happening, but just by simply, like you said, acknowledging it, I think that helps in some way people to process it. Cause I think what they're looking for is just for you to validate and see them in some way to go, Hey, I know you belong here. It's okay. Like there's no need to be panicked or upset or I got you like you're here. And, um, I think, yeah, if we could focus more on cultivating that and workplaces, I think we would see much different, you know, outcomes. We wouldn't see this resignation, um, 
Yep. You know, if and... people felt like they belonged, because mm-hmm. what's happened is there's been so much focus on purpose. You yeah. know, do you believe in the mission and the vision? Okay. Well, if I believe in the mission and vision, but I don't feel like I belong, no yeah. one's going to stay. Yeah. Cause I belong. Like you said, is something you feel right. Mm-hmm. I always say, I mean, that's what I love about whenever I see these culture like statements or words, I'm like, that's just words on a piece of paper. I'm like, tell me how that is demonstrated and how people are actually feeling that and experiencing that every day. Right. You can't point to that. Then all you really got again, are words on a piece of paper that don't really mean much. Um, right. and that is one of my biggest gripes with corporate is like, yeah, we're very hyper-focused on that mission or that culture, but yeah. How do we have the accountability to say, no, we, we need to make this a priority and right. we need to work on this. Um, anyway, that's, so I'm curious as we're wrapping up the conversation around processing difficult conversations, I, I would be curious to hear from your experience. What is one of the most difficult situations you've processed and whatever you want to share, that's fine. But how did you get through it? Or how did you kind of work your way through it? If you're like someone who maybe is starting out, like hasn't done a lot of that processing, what's something maybe they can do based that's on a your real, experience? That's another really good question. Um, and why it's a good question is because we need to meet people with where they're at. So where I'm at might not be where somebody else is at. And somebody else might not be where I'm at, but maybe they're at where I want to be. So I'd like to um, share information in a couple different ways here. When I, when I first started, I would say in my healing journey, it was an exploration of understanding. There were so many things that I didn't understand. And what I found myself doing was researching. So looking for information from reputable sources. And what I mean by reputable sources is if I'm going to read information on a book or on the internet, who is the person who's writing it? Are they a credible source? Like, do they have any background in the, in this, or, you know, is it an article from somebody who doesn't even have either the education, the experience, they're just writing it. And the other thing that I needed to take in consideration is the possibility that somebody was a ghostwriter, meaning somebody wrote some, a, published a book, but maybe they didn't write it. So what I was looking for, for in the beginning is information that could help me understand. Then what I did was I found specifically a therapist who specialized in narcissistic child abuse. And what I did was I interviewed them. See, what I find sometimes is that when people are looking for providers, whether it's a coach or a therapist, they don't interview. They look at this person's got credentials and they have the experience and I'm going to go book the appointment. What I wanted was somebody who I was, who was going to resonate with me. Like they, they, their communication style was similar and uh, their practice was we're going to have a plan because I need a plan. I don't mm-hmm. like where everything is so abstract and airy fairy that I've got no substance to it because mm-hmm. I can't remember goals that way. And I want to make sure that not like it's an assessment metric, but like we've got something. So maybe it's just as simple as, okay, th- this week we're going to work on um, processing whatever it would be like, we're going to work on maybe, you know, processing conversations that you have through email. Okay. That one. 
So I interviewed people and I found, I just knew it right away. I was like, okay, you're it. We're going to book it. Um, and then the other thing, so that was, that's one place where somebody can be the beginning stages, right. If you will, then there's like a middle of the road kind of thing. Okay. I've done some work. I've worked with some therapists. I've done some self-reflection. And now what I need to do is really be honest with myself and say, what's the stuff that really gets in the way of me being my best self? What's the stuff that really prevents me from moving forward? That's a difficult conversation to have when it's around trauma. There are things that I can tell you I didn't want to think about. See, I made myself a promise. I think I'm laughing about this because I always say, if you can't keep a promise to yourself, who can you keep a promise to? Mm. So I have that. I keep myself accountable. And then sometimes I'll reach out to people too, that maybe I don't really know very well. And I'll say, can you help me with something? Because what I'm looking for is not the bias and the caring of my friends and family who have, they have their best, they have my best interest, but it's a bias sometimes and it can cloud them. And when I'm looking for assistance with direction or processing something. So that's why bartenders and hairstylists are so popular when it comes to sharing stuff. Oh my gosh. So the middle of the road is the look at yourself in the mirror and say to yourself, okay, what, what's the stuff that's getting in the way still and preventing me from being my best self. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of that is what's getting in the way and the stuff that I really want to heal from that. I don't want to share those details with anybody. Yeah. Really need to do that kind of, um, self check. Mm -hmm. Then the third part is I've done the first part with the knowledge and understanding, and I'm still collecting knowledge and understanding. Uh, I'm still doing it. It's not something that just stops, but I am continuing to understand, seek to understand and add to my understanding. I've continued to be honest with myself, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, okay, there's still some stuff I I'm working on. I'd like to have breakthroughs with these areas. And I want to help others also. So there's this peer component because what I find is it's the heal thyself in the wounded healer mindset. It's such a wonderful gift to yourself, right? You've learned how to make bread. You've learned how to bake bread and that's a gift, right? Mm -hmm. If we keep that gift just to us and people around us starve, Mm-hmm. when I can yep. be there to teach somebody else. So I'm not doing the work for them. I'm supporting them. I'm listening to them, validating, mm-hmm. sharing my lived experience, still talking about stuff that really bothers me, talking about stuff that doesn't bother me, mm-hmm. celebrating their wins, encouraging them that they can too. There was a conversation that happened recently about, encouragement, you know, oh, you should learn how to just encourage yourself. That's that, that is so not true. Think about the person, the coach who has one person who believes in them, one person who reignites the inner self belief, mm-hmm. right? It's not that yeah. it's dependent externally. It's reigniting what you already have within you. Yeah. So when you get to that other phase, then you start helping others 
along the way with wherever you meet them, where, where they are at. Mm -hmm. And then I think that there is an even further beyond peace. And, um, I call that legacy building for even more future generations. I have no idea what that is going to look like when I'm, you know, taking my last breath, but I would like to believe that it was something greater than what I could ever envision. I'm too, I'm too, people would say that at least when I was little, anyway, they'd say you're too stubborn. And I don't think so. I think that was perseverance. I think it was persistence as a child, because if I was stubborn, then I would have gotten into trouble, but I didn't. What I did was I stuck to my guns and I knew who I was, no matter what other people were saying or no matter what they were doing. And it's a persistence and a perseverance. And I would like to believe that those two components add to the go beyond of what the future generations are going to look like. But that's what I think. I could be wrong, but I mean, I could be, it's possible. It's possible. Not saying that I'm, you know, a hundred percent, but I do believe that there's something more than um, what we're capable of for sure. I agree. You know, one of my favorite authors is Pema Chodron, a Buddhist nun. And she will often say when people ask like, you know, what happens when we die or what, you know, what happens when you reach enlightenment? She's like, well, here's what I think, but I'm willing to be surprised. I could be wrong. You know, I mean, and I think there's something to that, that curiosity, but not in a way of like that conviction where it's like, I have to be right or, right. um, it needs to be a certain way. Cause again, we're going back into control, but just that right. open curiosity of, and that perseverance, like you said, I think it's so key because I think that's part of like the childhood experience that a lot of us lose along the way, I think, and, you know, can be, you know, maybe as a result of somebody else's trauma, they can, you know, misinterpret that or maybe use it as a shame way to shame right. people. But yes, I think that there is definitely a, a very deep, um, child sense in that, where it's like that curiosity and perseverance and just being open and so curious that you just keep going. Um, no, that's all very beautiful. I, I love it. And I, I agree. I mean, I think from a healing perspective, um, at least in my journey, it has been a complete inside out approach. It's about going to myself first and doing a lot of that work and that processing. And then eventually, like you said, being able to share that with others, share the bread with others and help them process. So one of the things I know I'm very passionate about is dedicating myself to kind of healing myself, healing myself, like you said, so that then I can help, you know, others heal themselves as well and just be that space for them. Mm -hmm. And it's such a powerful place to be in, but I love all of your tips. Um, you know, for me, I agree. I think you need to interview your therapist. I've come across a few that just didn't, it's almost like fit, like trying on clothes, right? Like it doesn't always <laughs> fit quite right. You need to find someone that fits you well. And that you, I, I stole that from a mentor when she was saying, oh, I, I love that analogy. I think I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'll, I'll cite you, but I'm going to far away. <laughs> no, it's I great. It. I mean, because it's like, yeah, that's what it's about. You can meet, it's almost like relationships or anything, right? Like it's about that vibe. And I think it comes back to that safety component for me. And can they hold that space where I do feel like I belong? Even if I bring all the stuff with me, right. All the baggage, like our 
do I feel safe enough? And do they make me feel like I belong there? And that's where the processing and healing really happens. Um, so yeah, definitely find someone who's right for you. I, I think I told you before that one of the first therapists I ever saw was a somatic therapist. And it was just such a wild experience for me because I had no experience with like somatics, but she came highly recommended from a friend and was great. We worked together for a long time, but that for me worked where maybe some of the like cognitive behavioral, like more traditional type therapy didn't work as well. It, yeah. For me, the clothes that fit were like the somatic work or me too. some of yeah. the more like maybe spiritual even work. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a lot of that influence as well, but yeah, find what works for you and just, you know, pra- just practice, practice that discomfort, practice, acknowledging practice, you know, just being there for you. And yeah, that's always worked for me as well. Um, thank you so much today, Dr. Deb, this was such a fun experience and having this conversation around how we can process difficult situations. Um, where can people find you, uh, on the web and out in the world? Well, thanks for having me on too. I really appreciate our conversation. I know that we've talked a few times before and I've, I've always enjoyed our conversation. So thank you to the audience for still being here with us. If you've made it this far, (laughs) Hey, you know what? Shout out to you. Um, where people can find me, people can find me a few different ways. One is my website, which is Dr. Deb. And then Lind is L I N D H.com. They can also find me on Twitter, which is at Deborah Lind. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Deborah Lind. And um, if they want to shoot me out an email, it's uh, hello at ptsdandbeyond.org. And uh, and the other thing is too, if you do connect with me, please let me know that you uh, heard me on um, Jen's show. That would be fantastic. So then I can say, hey, guess what? You know, um, people, uh, your audience connected and always nice to share that feedback. That is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And don't forget to check out PTSD and beyond on Twitter every, what is it? Monday at five o'clock Pacific. Yep. Monday night at eight o'clock Eastern standard time and use the hashtag PTSD and beyond. Uh, and then also the podcast, I, uh, just can't believe in the last three days, like listenership went up by 120%. Wow. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> That's cool. But that I know great. it's like, okay. And you know, we're just, just, you know, like, like here we're a small indie podcast. So it's great. Mm-hmm. So we're, we both have, you know, messages that are resonating with people and um, you know, we're on all the different, you know, podcast listener sites, uh, indie, and then also the big major ones, but that's also PTSD and beyond. I highly recommend it. It's a good podcast. I like it. And Jen's um, on there too. So you got to go yes. listen to her episode. Yeah, so, that's yeah, true. See, I did. We're, we're doing a lot of, we're doing a lot of, uh, supporting one another, which yeah. is what it's all about. Always. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.